Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 16 of College Football Throwdown, a college football podcast. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello there, college football fans. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Uh, Yes, for those of you who haven't been listening to us before, we are a college football podcast that is by college football fans for college football fans, father and son duo, talking about the sport that we love, and... um, this is going to be our uh, Nebraska-specific podcast, talking about the Nebraska-Illinois game, analyzing this game and what it means for our season, and uh, this as well as previewing the upcoming Wisconsin game. Um, and as we talked about on the last podcast, actually, um, Dad, you went, you got to actually go to this game. You got to go to Illinois. I did, I did, and it, it is a it is a pretty campus. I love the campus at the University of Illinois. Um, it's it's pretty good size campus, certainly bigger than than Nebraska, but um, um, uh, and it had a nice little uh, you know uh, restaurant bar district, which we were able to enjoy a little bit after the game, even though the the outcome wasn't what we desired. Uh, however, I would say a couple of other things though. Uh, the 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 stadium itself is somewhat unimpressive, and uh, some of the renovations that they've done to me, are kind of out of place. They have uh, uh, this what could be really cool place called Grange Grove, which they're trying to create as a kind of a destination spot for pregame activities, you know, where people can hang out and there's lots of stuff going on and it's apparently all free of charge or whatever. But then the actual physical facility is just overdone. It's over the top, you know what I mean? And it, it doesn't stay in keeping with the, they have this beautiful traditional archi- architecture of the stadium and then the additions that they put on it are metal and glass and, you know, uh, everything below it is this beautiful, you know, um, um, what would I call it? Like Greek or, or Roman column type stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's a real weird architectural combinations and they just... I think they blew it when they expanded their stadium and, and this Grange Grove where they're taking advantage of the history of, of the fact that Red Grange went to, UN, uh, went to the uh, University of Illinois, it, it doesn't work. Right. So there were some aspects that were a little bit you know, ho- almost hokey or, or really bad efforts to try to make something cool. Yeah. Well, and you told me that, you know, it was kind of a, unfortunately, kind of a crappy day in terms of the rain and the wind oh, and it being cold. And then awful. your car, the RV, uh, broke down on your return trip. So to capitalize on the loss, it was uh, not the best weekend for you. No, it, it, there were certainly some challenges with the overall weekend. And uh, probably on game day, the, the biggest thing was the unexpected weather. I mean, the, none of the forecasts that we had watched going leading up to the game suggested that it was going to be as miserable, cold, rainy as it was. I mean, we knew it was going to be cooler and it was going to be windy, but there were 30-mile-an-hour winds, man. It was howling uh, there at times uh, to the point where it was hard for us to get uh, – for me to set up and hold my dish in place so we could get the, get the satellite. You know, it was <laughs> – I had that thing bungee corded to everything under the sun to try to get it to stay in one place. <laughs> that sounds like a scene out of the movie RV that we yes, would always does. love to watch. <laughs> All right, so before we dive into actually dissecting the game, we're going to do our tradition and uh, crack a beer here. It's my turn this week, so here we go. Awesome. There you go. And and I am 
drinking a little bit of of um, hard cider here this evening. Very nice. All right. So, and I should preface this as well as I said on the last podcast. I actually got the opportunity to go to the UCLA Arizona State game with a, a friend of my of dad's actually a friend of my uncle dad's brother who uh who we knew was out in california who has actually he's friends with a person who has season tickets and she Uh loans him the season tickets i see and uh and so i was given one and got to go to the game and so we tailgated beforehand it was really fun beautiful day out in uh, los angeles and then got to go to the rose bowl which is something i've never gotten the chance to do before Definitely cool stadium, good ambiance, and then watch the game itself. Uh, was kind of hoping that it was going to be my redemption from the Nebraska-Illinois game because I was cheering for the Bruins, and then that didn't quite end up turning out how I uh, expected it to. <laughs> yep, but I'm glad you had a great experience. That's kind of one of the cool things to learn is that, you know, there's just nothing quite like uh, college football ambiance or environment. Uh, for a, a college, or I mean, a, a fall Saturday, you know, no matter where you are. And there's so many beautiful places like the Rose Bowl to experience a game, even if your team isn't playing in it. You can still have a great time. Yeah, but point being is that I was um, glancing at the game, the Illinois game on my phone, the Nebraska game, um, watching the play-by-play on like ESPN, uh, but not actually being able to watch it. So I... I've not actually seen, I've only seen clips of the game, and obviously I was watching it live through the play-by-play, seeing a lot of three and outs, three and outs on both sides of the ball, which is definitely frustrating me. And then, of course, getting to see us lose in the fourth quarter with 10 seconds to go, just like in previous games, which was definitely frustrating to me, even not seeing the actual play. It was very frustrating to me uh, as I watched it live. Because I, I just, it, it was like I could see it coming. I bet you, you probably heard me in your head uh, screaming <laughs> uh, about the fact that, you know, we we had this game done. It was over. And all we had to do was put the stake in the heart, and these guys were done. And we just couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. And, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit here in a, in a couple minutes about why I think we couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's tough because typically when we're watching games together – um, I learned pretty early on in my college football days that I had to be the voice of reason trying to uh, keep dad calm during games because even when we're doing good, you always seem to find a way to nitpick the things we're doing wrong. Uh, so, so I try to be the voice of optimism, but it's getting tough to be optimistic when you're two and three and you've had so many painful losses this early in the season. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And so that's a, good, that's a good transition for us to kind of go into that a little bit. You know, Alex, we talked last week before the Illinois game about how important this game was and how it was, it was going to be the first legitimate building block for us. And you can see individually the athleticism and the talent that we have, but it's very clear that there are some gaps. And some of those gaps have been caused by injuries that we've had. We've, we've really had to deal with a lot of injuries that have kept us from having any kind of continuity or any ability to build a depth in our defense particularly. Um, and, and then the other thing is is that we have not seen our offensive line you know, evolve and develop the way we had hoped they might. Uh, and so um, uh, and then in the Illinois game, you thought, well, maybe this is the moment in time 
where we'll see the defense start to come together and gel a little bit and that offensive line to start gelling or at least have an opponent that maybe was a little bit more, uh, you know, their speed, so to speak, in terms of not being filled with athletic gazelles uh, like we've run into a little bit with teams like the Miami Hurricanes and stuff who are clearly loaded with talent. Maybe it's just not well coached, but loaded with talent. And uh, you thought maybe this might be the game, and it was not. It absolutely was not. Now, defensively, I would say that in watching the game, uh, I saw some good things from our defense that led me to believe that that we can eventually be a decent defense. I, I see a secondary that still has no clue what they're supposed to be doing once the ball's in the air. I, I, I think they do a pretty decent job. Um, right at the snap of the ball and in terms of understanding where they're supposed to be covering or who they're supposed to be covering and they even run with them pretty good but so athletically that's not the issue but once the ball's in the air they have no idea what they're supposed to be doing or at least it appears that they don't have any idea what they're supposed to be doing you know in terms of body position in terms of what they're supposed to be doing with their hands and positioning themselves philosophically what are they trying to accomplish is their job to turn and look to the ball is their job to simply watch for the receiver's hands and then they're going to rip the ball out of the you know i mean there are different philosophies of how you do that i have no idea which one we're supposed we're supposedly teaching our guys because i didn't see any efforts or any consistency from those guys at all Mm -hmm. so those are the kinds of little details that i observed by being able to be there and see those guys play after play after play i i just i have no idea what's being taught It's, it's not apparent yeah well, yeah, I mean, that is, you know, of the positives we can take out of the game, definitely one of them I think would be the defense because although Illinois definitely made some mistakes on their end with missed field goals and oh, yeah. failed fourth down conversions, you know, that uh, that kept them from getting points on the board when they had opportunity, but the fact that we kept them to zero points up until the fourth quarter is uh, commendable on the part of our defense and shows some improvement in that regard. Uh, I think this... Uh, this doing this podcast have gone to show uh, why you and I aren't um, aren't predictors or why we aren't uh, working in Vegas or whatever with these predictions. Um, right. On last week, uh, we predicted the scores of the game. I said it was going to be a Nebraska victory, thirty-eight twenty-eight, and you said it was going to be a Nebraska victory, forty-two thirty-one. And then uh, both of us ended up being quite wrong in terms of it being much more of a defensively focused game than an offense one. Well, and and, and part of that was uh, I don't think either of us, when we did that podcast, anticipated the the condition, the weather conditions, and what they were likely to be. Um, you know, and so if I could have known that it was going to be you know, gusty, up to thirty mile an hour winds, and uh, and raining and cold and just miserable uh, all in all i would say that i might have predicted a lower scoring game you know what i mean right. so that's partially a, a, an expectation that at, at the time when we were looking at the forecast it was going to be in the upper 60s and uh, maybe a little bit windy and partly sunny right. well we we hardly saw the sun all day and it was spitting rain and then eventually just flat out started kind of rain and cold rain uh, throughout the second half. It was yeah. miserable. Which brings me to one of, I know, your major points about the game. Just in in general, like, even if um, Langsdorf, our offensive coordinator, had gone to the game thinking that we were going to do kind of the typical 50-50 uh, pass to run kind of ratio kind of play calling, 
Um, you would think that with the rain and the wind and ev- all the elements going against making more difficult to pass, he would focus a little bit more on the run just in terms of that, not even talking about you know a larger philosophical reasoning for why Nebraska should be running the football. Right, exactly. And, and, and uh, you know, I was going to say, in fact, that all we needed to say was run the damn ball. That's the answer to the game. We win that game probably easily going away. So, um, um, you know, I mean, why in the heck would we not run the ball more? Right. It's ridiculous. And I, I indicated in my conversation with you immediately after the game or that, that day about how uh, it was my opinion that, that if, we, if we could just run the football – uh, we would have won and that the stats probably supported that we should have ran it more. And sure enough, you look at the stats for the game and uh, almost all of our running backs were, you know, in that four to five yards a carry kind of range. And um, um, I mean, it's crazy that you had that much success running the football on average, and yet you didn't run it more in a cold, miserable day where throwing the football was obviously going to be challenging uh, no matter how good you were at it, and much less if you're not that accurate to begin with, which is kind of the category I'd put Tommy in. He's a, he's he can physically throw the football, but he's not he's not shown himself to be the most accurate guy, and thus we end up with thirty uh, percent well, pass completions. I will say, in defense of Tommy, obviously he was not having a good day today, um, or that day, I should say. And in the previous games, although it's not like our passing uh, completion rate has been great, but it certainly has been good, and he's thrown some excellent uh, passes in some of those games. So it's not as if he's incapable of being accurate and throwing a, a strong, long ball. It's just he's not consistently great at it. That's the issue. Correct, correct. And, and the point is, is that you start to put some more you, you start to put some more challenges in front of him, like uh, a wind uh, that's howling all over the place. Sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower. Uh, and, and then, you know, you, uh, you put in, in there, you know, all the other elements of the, of the team dynamic, you know, who's playing, who's not playing, uh, what, what's in the game plan, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff. And he just was, and he was having a bad day. He just just wasn't on. And and then and then you ask him time and time again to make these hard passes, difficult passes where they've got to be just in the right spot. Well, he overthrew guys, underthrew guys. You know, wide receivers open, and he just missed them. You know, and it was just frustrating. Yeah. And and while at the same time we're running the football, you know, uh, thirty four times for hundred and eighty seven yards. I mean that that is a pretty nice average, you know, for the for the runners. And why we didn't run the ball more is completely and totally on the coaches. And and that's my point is this loss is on the coaches. They damn well in the locker room better have taken uh, uh, responsibility for the loss and not put it on. Oh, you guys didn't execute well enough or whatever because their game plan did not lend itself to the conditions or the strengths that we were demonstrating within the framework of the game. If they had just run the football, we win that game probably comfortably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, actually, this is a good way to tie in the game I was watching, the UCLA-Arizona State game. Um, the biggest factor throughout a majority of the game was that every time UCLA tried to run it, 
they were getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage. They were losing that battle pretty badly. And Arizona State was running it, well, not, like, amazingly. They were, you know, getting some uh, getting some carries with the run. And so that that's another example of, you know, the running game being the key factor of the game was that game, I would argue. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, and a little a quick scrutiny of, of the, uh, the stat sheet here. Nebraska had only 12 first downs in the whole game. Yeah. Of those, though, nine of them were rushing first downs. Wow. Only two of them were passing. So why are you throwing the ball well, that's on, three on so many third downs? Three would be passing. <laughs> Do some yeah. math there. <laughs> well, my point is, is that why would you, you know, you, you, you threw it half the time. And, and how many more third downs or, or third down conversions and therefore first downs would you have gotten if you had just run the ball more? Right. Uh, and, I, and I tell you what, what's frustrating to me is I think it's clear, and, and that's why we talked about how important this game was from a, a more global perspective. It wasn't just about winning against Illinois, although obviously that's what you would have gotten out of it in the win-loss column. It was about establishing an identity. It was about recognizing what we could do versus what, what they might want to do. And it's clear that Langsdorf wants to do a certain thing, and it's not – it does not include lining up and being a physical smash-mouth football team um, while also taking advantage of some of the other aspects of uh, the jet sweep and the passing game that he has brought with him in his background uh, yeah. from both the NFL and college. He wants to do that pass game now. And we have some good receivers. Tommy's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, but he's a good quarterback. He's definitely improved even now, even after this disastrous game. I can still say uh, for the season that Tommy looks a lot better than he did before. So I'm, I'm perfectly good with all of that, except when you get into this kind of a game and this kind of weather conditions, you need to understand where, where you live. You're in Illinois, damn it, and it's windy and it's cold and it's rainy and it's miserable, and you need to be able to line up yeah. on a third down in any weather condition, and, and, and the other team needs to believe that you're committed to running the football down their throat and getting, getting that conversion. And, and, they, and then you need to have the confidence to do it. And now that we've discovered our, our fullback, who happens to be a pretty darn good runner, uh, just maybe we ought to use that on some of those third and shorts. Right, which I do think brings up an interesting, more um, global discussion of what what should a coaching staff, you know, a new coaching staff that's trying to bring a new system to a new program try to do in terms of the implementing their system, what they've done for years what they want to do what they think they're best at uh, versus adapting to the players that they are dropped into the middle of essentially you know in a pre-existing program that was under a different coaching staff only you know weeks ago or whatever because um, uh -huh. I, I, I can see both sides of the argument I understand and I'm not fundamentally unlike you I'm not fundamentally opposed to the idea that we could be like a 50-50 kind of team but at the same time i don't feel like given the players that we currently have the i don't feel like it's worth you know uh ruining this season by insisting on that new system when we haven't had the time or the proper physical you know talents and that sort of thing to you know get it properly in place where we can execute it at a high level 
so maybe in that situation, it'd be better to compromise and try to do a merging of a little bit of what you want to do, but also trying to take advantage of, you know, the guys you have in front of you. Absolutely. I'm I'm a big believer that you're, you're not, you're first and foremost, a coach and a coach's job is to put his players in the best position to win the football game. And I don't give a damn what your philosophy is. You're going to go out there and execute as best you can. Here's my, I'm going to go into a different sport and a, and a different coach altogether uh, uh, to prove my point. Um, uh, uh, Bobby Knight, the legendary basketball coach uh, at Indiana and elsewhere, uh, but mostly his time at Indiana. Um, Bobby Knight was uh, vehemently opposed to junior college players uh, uh, being uh, allowed to be eligible to play uh, NCAA basketball. Okay. And so he, um, he argued against it, fought strongly to not do it. You know, he wanted a tougher academic standards, not anything that would lighten the academic standards. He believed that the players, you know, should, should, he didn't, he didn't want any of this crap of players basically being uh, temporary recruits. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but even though he was vehemently opposed, when the rules came in and, and went in place, what did he do? He, he got junior college players, and he won a championship with them. Uh, and so, uh, but that didn't mean that he didn't, didn't agree with it. You know, uh, the bottom line was he took the rules and what he had and what he could get, and he made the best possible team he could in that situation, and they won a championship. Right. They take whatever they get, and they make it as good as it can possibly be, and they find a way. And that's what I thought I was hearing from a coach speak standpoint. That's what that's what Riley was telling us all season leading up to the game to the games for this season. But now I'm saying that Langsdorf, I don't believe shares what Riley has been preaching. Okay, because Langsdorf didn't do that. Langsdorf was way more about trying to do his thing than he was about doing what was best for the team in my opinion this is me speaking opinion wise now and it's frightening to me to to see that because i think he's misunderstanding some fundamentals about what it takes to succeed at nebraska Mm -hmm. that was actually okay go ahead sorry uh it was kind of interesting i was just i was looking at like the stats on espn or the game summary there's like you know comments down below and one of them i guess was from like an oregon state fan and they said something like Oh, uh, I feel for you, Husker fans. You've you know inherited. Uh, I I wanted. I think he was talking about Langsdorf. You know uh-huh. this guy who Riley sticks with because he's stubborn or something like to that effect. Um, so it does kind of make me wonder. You know, is it, it, how much of that is you know Langsdorf being insistent on doing his system versus Riley? You know, I'm, I'd be curious to know what that ratio is. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and one 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 more thing I wanted to say because I'm sure that on some of the Nebraska forums and you know in the media and stuff, um, people are going to start talking about well how Nebraska's gone off to a definitely a bad start to its season under this new head coach and how Bo Pelini, for all of our issues with him, won nine games every single season he coached there. A feat only a couple other coaches during that time period duplicated. Uh, so it's it's hard to look at that and say that 
you know, we're throwing that away for a season where it looks like we might only win like six games or something like that. Uh, but at the same time, it's my opinion that uh, while Bo wasn't a bad coach, there were issues in terms of his coaching philosophy that we weren't seeing involved as time went on. And also just in terms of longevity of the what we wanted to see at Nebraska and the attitude he brought to it and some mistakes that we saw repeat throughout the years that weren't going away. All those things uh, led me to believe that it wasn't like a good for us to keep Bo on long term. Um, and so I think letting go of him was the right decision. And now obviously it remains to be seen if Ry- picking up Riley as our new head coach is the right decision. Uh, but I think it's still like we're still you know five games into his, into his coaching career at Nebraska. It's still way too early to be making any broad statements as of yet. That's true, except that uh, I've now seen five games, and, and stubbornness is maybe a good term that you used a little earlier in your description there uh, of Langsdorf, that if this is the offense that they're going to try to run and shove down our throats, so to speak, as, as Nebraska fans and as a Nebraska football team, uh, number one, I can tell you uh, with a certain level of certainty that that we're not going to like the win-loss results, and they're going to they're going to be very frustrated. The, the offensive coordinator is going to be very frustrated because we're not going to execute at, at the level that he expects us to do. And some of it is the personnel. Some of it is what what Tommy can and can't do. What our offensive linemen can and can't do. But it's also about coaching. It's about uh, how, how we're valuing. Uh, what we observe in practice. I think there are some offensive linemen that should be getting some snaps. Uh, they've chosen to go with this very limited rotation concept within the offensive line, which I think is a horrible idea uh, and is starting to show itself as being a horrible idea because now uh, you're, you're, you're relying almost exclusively on your choice of those guys. And, it, and, it, and it's somewhat clear that they have picked the guys that have the best ability to pass block. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best – linemen from a run blocking standpoint in fact some of them might be significantly uh less effective than others who are in the fold already and that are part of our team and so they're valuing one thing and devaluing something else and i think it's it's incongruent with what we can consistently recruit and what we have demonstrated over decades and decades and decades of success uh you know will will be part of a successful formula so all of that stuff points to the fact that these coaches' chances of, of having long-term success, I think, is greatly diminished because they're not appreciating the environment that they find themselves in. They don't understand the weather implications, the Big Ten conference physicality aspect, the implication, all that stuff. So it's just crazy. Yeah. So Well, and it could certainly be, you know, I mean, Riley and his staff have been kind of playing at a – you know, somewhat lesser league of competition at Oregon State, you know, and out there in the Pac-12 for many years, you know, so to come to Nebraska, a more, you know, prestigious school in terms of, you know, the money and the tradition and all of that, as well as playing in a totally different region and conference and all those things, uh, might, this might be kind of like a wake-up call for them and kind of a learning experience and maybe we see them adjust as time goes on that's what i would hope to see but i also want to make the point i mentioned this earlier um but i am not like uh i'm not totally opposed to the idea of like us evolving our offense and like trying to do this more 50 50 thing as in terms of a long-term like 
uh, goal for our offense. I mean, there's certainly a lot of uh, teams that would suggest to you that, you know, having a strong passing game is a key to be, or having a focus on the passing game is key to being a championship caliber, you know, football team. Um, So I think that that on a fundamental level, I'm not opposed to Nebraska going in that direction. Now I do oppose the idea of us trying to go 100% with that system right out of the gate I think that should be more of a slow transition. And uh, Riley, you know, use, once again, using the players that we have, you know, using the offense that we were using under Bo to a certain extent, you know, since that's what these players are more familiar with, and adjusting it and finding a way to kind of like slowly incorporate more of what you plan to do over time, you know, getting your recruits in place that are more tempered to the offense that you want to try to run and kind of doing a transition of that over time and maybe taking a few elements that you've seen really work under, you know, at Nebraska, like our strong running backs and stuff, and taking some of those weapons into your offensive your offensive scheme and making this new fusion of old and new. That's what I would like to see, and then to see us be able to execute that kind of 50-50 split with precision. But I don't like the way it's being done right now. Right. Well, and, I, and I'm a, I'm in 100% agreement with you, Alex, that if we could accomplish that, then I would be okay with that, because that would mean they were recognizing that we have some uh, some capabilities in the running game that they're not fully taking advantage of, and that it's critical that you be able to have that running game so that you have the threat of the running game, especially on those uh, critical third downs, where people have to believe that, that you will choose with some regularity to run the football and have success doing it that rather than throwing it every single time on third down and four or third down and six, you have to run it sometimes in that situation, particularly when you're in the big 10 and you know, there are going to be days that are so miserable and stuff. You're just not going to want to throw the football much period. You're just not. And so they have to recognize that. And and it's clear that they're not. And so uh, hopefully they will learn it at some point in their time there or their time at Nebraska will be relatively short. That's my opinion, because I don't think they're going to have success if they don't recognize that they have to have a, a powerful running game. They have to. It's a must. It is an, it's a building block. You must have it. And, and, and I believe we have the, the makeup, meaning the players and the, running, and the skill position and the, and the linemen to accomplish it right now on the team right now. They're not using them, and they're not using them in the right way. And and that is a fundamental to me that I was willing to give them time on, but after watching that game in person and, and having to suffer through the pain of that as well, it has just been pounded into my brain that, boy, I need to see a radical shift from our offensive play-calling philosophy and just a commitment to, to a running game that I did not see, and it scares the – the daylights out of me because you just suggested six and six i'd like for you to tell me how we're going to win four games we got seven conference games left tell me how out of those seven games we're going to win four tell me tell me where those wins are so we can get to six and six because i'm here to tell you i can't see them (laughs) yeah well that's actually a good transition because on last podcast we talked about how the illinois game was like a turning point for us and you know at that point we our our uh, goal that we talked about in the summer of Nebraska 
um, winning the Big Ten West and going to the Big Ten championship game was still a possibility. Um, now, after this Illinois game, it still is within the realm of possibility, but it's become a lot less likely that we can, you know, beat Wisconsin and Northwestern and Iowa and such um, with the team we currently have. So where do you see us going from here? What do you think is... Uh, what would you like to see that's also pragmatic given where we are? What, 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 I, what I would like to see is for us to, to uh, find a commitment to the running game and come hell or high water. I would rather lose against, uh, against uh, Wisconsin, for example, this week while uh, being, remaining committed to the running game. Now, that doesn't mean you don't throw it at all. But I'm saying what I'm suggesting to you is that, that we have enough offensive creativity that we can find ways to move the football while running it and, and, and so that you can have success when you're at third and five. You have to be able to run the football in that situation, period, and, and have a reasonable uh, expectation that you're going to have success uh, converting. Okay, it's, I'm here to tell you that the coaches that had success at Nebraska going back to Bob Devaney all did that. Okay, they all did that because they understood that the weather and the circumstances required it. Okay, and and it, it's a building block that allows you to do all the other things, including throwing the football. It's what makes that easier to do. It's such a basic thing. Yeah. And so I need to see that. I haven't seen it. If I don't see that, Alex, I'm honest. I I don't think we can beat Wisconsin. I don't think we can beat Iowa. I don't think we can beat Northwestern. I think it's going to be very difficult for us to beat Minnesota uh, because we're just going to be way, way too predictable. We're going to play right into their strength and, and not attack their weakness. Um, uh, and frankly, what Purdue did uh, uh, in their game against uh, uh, Michigan State suggests to me that we're not going to beat Purdue either. So where are the wins coming from? I just, I don't see them. Yeah. I don't see them. We are not playing a, a, a caliber or a, a quality of football that would lead me to believe that any of those games is likely to be a win. doesn't mean we can't win them. It just, at this point, I would give us less than 50% chance on any of those games. I, I, I hope we get the four wins. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, how, that's how bad I <laughs> God, when did it become to the point where we're talking about wanting four wins? Oh, man. Well, I'm not saying I want four wins. I'm saying I don't see them. I don't see them because I think these guys have missed it big time on their play calling. Now, I see our defense, so let's to, to put a little bit of bright spot, I saw a defense at Illinois that, that uh, d- uh, again, defending the run, it's kind of hard to tell whether Illinois just has a horrible offensive line, which might very well be the case, but I began to see a defensive line that was starting to emerge, starting to develop itself. And, in fact, I saw a, a young uh, 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 Kevin Maurice starting to, to grow up right in front of my eyes only to watch him get hurt in the fourth quarter, and, and now he's gone for four weeks. So um, so we, we finally see another defensive tackle that might be emerging to replace Vincent Valentine and uh, Kevin Williams and all these other guys that are getting hurt, and what happens? He gets hurt. So now he's gone uh, for four weeks uh, at least. And uh, so I was – I mean, I, I, I'm seeing glimpses of some talent there. Secondary-wise, I think it's a technique thing. I don't think it's a talent thing. It's a technique thing, and so that uh, could get shored up a little bit. And frankly, I don't think we're going to see a lot of teams with the kind of wide receivers that our early season games had. We're just not. 
And so uh, that might help us a little bit. The quarterbacks that we're going to be facing aren't as great as some of the quarterbacks in terms of just skill talent and the ability to place the football as those BYU quarterbacks were and such. So all things considered, I see improvements in the defense that might allow us to hang around. And if the offensive coordinator, Mike Riley and his staff, can get their heads on straight and recognize that they need to start running the football more and establishing a running game, come hell or high water, including changing offensive line personnel, rotating offensive line personnel, whatever they got to do. But they've got to get fresh bodies in there that can move and use power and strength to get some people off the ball. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so. well, and I have to take hope in the fact that, you know, Mike Riley at Oregon State was obviously coaching in many games that, uh, where he was not the favorite, you know, or where they had to, he had to deal with, you know, situations that weren't the best. And sometimes they didn't go his way, but sometimes they did, you know, and I, it'll be interesting to see where that tipping point falls for Nebraska here. Um, at this point in our season, I wanted to, uh, you had mentioned before that you were reading some interesting perspectives from some people online and stuff. I was curious about what you meant by that. Well, yeah, you know, I, I will concede that it, it, it is good for me to get perspectives from some other folks that seem to be uh, a little more optimistic than me, uh, that, and, and, and but they're frankly conveying a, uh, a view of our current situation and saying, uh, don't get disheartened. This is happening for the right reasons. These coaches are putting in their system, and they have to be given the fair chance to put in their system. And, and it's important that they do that from, a, from the recruiting perspective that the people that they're having conversations and building relationships with that they want to try to get into this program are people that need to see an offense that reflects what they want, right? And so if you're going to try to entice and draw interest from, from premier wide receivers, then you better be throwing the football enough that those wide receivers believe you're committed to throwing the football. And, and you, can't, you can't tell them about how much you're going to get the ball, and then they come and watch the game or they watch it on TV and they see you run it 70% of the time. And that isn't going to fly. But my, my argument against that, I love that philosophy and I love their, their willingness to go there. And, and that means you're investing and accepting that this is going to be a three- or four-year transitional process before we can ever expect results. Because, oh, well, we've got to give them a chance to show the world that they're committed to changing to their offense. You know? But I don't think in this day and age, uh, fans... Uh, the butts in the seats, the big money people, all of the things that are part of big-time college football, they don't have the patience for that kind of a long view. It's not going to be there. You have to win, and you have to win now. Okay, This is the easiest schedule we are going to face uh, for the next four or five years. This was the year for us to get a decent uh, uh, number on the board, so to speak, and maybe get into another big uh, championship game so that we would have an, an, a, you know, a, another one in the book, so to speak, so that we could hang that banner, so to speak, in front of recruits, even though it's not much of a banner. But, but at least we could say, hey, we've won X number of conference, you know, divisional championships over the last X years, but we're not going to get one this year in all likelihood now. And I'm telling you, the, the schedule for next year and, and beyond is more difficult. Mm-hmm. This is the easiest schedule we we're gonna have. I would agree that this year schedule is easy. Although I think penciling it in as a you know year where we were gonna 
get the, those victories and get to the championship game uh, would is kind of messed up by the fact that this is Riley's first year and the first year of a new coaching staff is very frequently a transitional period where you know you don't things don't uh, unless, go the best unless you're loaded with talent, which is the difference between what Riley's got and what what uh, Michigan's got. The reason Michigan's having success is because basically. Uh, the previous coach at Michigan had done an outstanding job of recruiting uh, naturally talented, highly regarded football players and, who were underperforming under that coach and were being misused and, and poorly coached even, you might say. Uh, and now that they're getting a consistent message of coaching, a simplified uh, message of coaching, and, and one that frankly fits really well with their with their skill sets, all of a sudden they are they have like a – you know, a a duck to water, they're doing great because the talent is there matched by everything else. And their only limit is that he still doesn't have the quarterback that he needs. As soon as he gets a quarterback, look out for Michigan. And at at, at Nebraska, it's so much more than that because we don't have that bevy of talent. Uh, We're we're scrambling and putting walk-ons on the field all over the place. Uh, We're in a very different spot than Michigan. Yeah. All right, and now to um, let's do a quick preview of the Wisconsin game. Um, it seems like I haven't really watched Wisconsin closely, but I know they've had some injuries and some tough losses, mm-hmm. um, and so they're not like the like the Wisconsin teams we've faced in some previous years under Bo that were like really, uh, really, really good, you know, teams. Um, so I don't think it's impossible for us to beat them uh i think it, it is within the realm of possibility but if we if we bring the same team we did to the illinois game to the wisconsin game i don't think there's any doubt in my mind that we get beaten possibly badly um so i i think that as you've said you know uh showing a commitment to running the football is going to be a key to the game as well as seeing if the defense that was shown against illinois was actually improvement on the defense or was it just the fact that Illinois is not very good on offense Uh, I think those would be the two keys to the game well I I would agree with you I mean the the traditional keys are still always going to be the traditional keys turnovers that sort of stuff but in terms of of you know what what has to happen for Nebraska to win the football game we have to in my opinion have success running the football that that creates that that requirement on the part of Wisconsin's defense to respect all aspects of our game uh, so that that threat is there. If they don't do that, uh, Wisconsin's defense is outstanding. I can see us struggling to score hardly any points against them. This is a defense that held Alabama to a reasonable score. Uh, This is a defense that was one of the best in the nation last year. Um, uh, their defensive coordinator will likely be a head coach very soon. He's one of the, probably the hottest assistant coaches in all of college football. And, uh, you know, they're very aggressive defensively. They're basically daring you to throw the football over the top of them, which we pretty much proved last week. We can't do, uh, we tried to throw it over the top of Illinois defense and we couldn't do it. Um, and, uh, so we're going to have to somehow find a way to do that this week because they're going to load the box. They're going to be aggressive, attacking the line of scrimmage. We're in, if anybody thought we were going to be able to establish a running game against Wisconsin, if we couldn't do it against Illinois, we sure as heck ain't going to do it against Wisconsin. So, uh, But that's a must. We must do that 
and we must stay committed to it. Even if we're not having success, we have to continue to, to try to do it because uh, ultimately that, that will make our passing game more likely to succeed. Um, and, and maybe we can get some points that way. Maybe we can hit on a few uh, significant plays. Yeah. Now, the, defensively, I think that Wisconsin's offense is not great. It's not vintage Wisconsin, as you pointed out. And, and that's where maybe we have a chance. Now, the thing that we, we've not been super opportunistic in terms of interceptions or turnovers, but that's what we're going to need this week. I think for us to have success and to actually beat Wisconsin is we need to have an, uh, a home crowd that is ready to get behind the guys and not going to be ready to jump off the ship. And I guarantee you there's going to be a percentage of the crowd that is going to be ready to bail on Nebraska and expresses its displeasure uh, rather quickly. So we better have success early, and and we better stop their their offense. We better allow ourselves the chance to stay in the game by playing well defensively and keeping uh, the score down. Because otherwise, Wisconsin is going to run away and hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Hearing that and thinking about my own thoughts about the game in terms of predicting a score, I'm going to go ahead and say that, I mean, I, it hurts me to say it, but if, if mm, let me put it this way. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. If the, if the Nebraska team we saw at Illinois shows up to play against Wisconsin, I think that Wisconsin beats us, like, let's say, uh, 28 to uh seven like we we get dominated and it sucks uh but if we make those adjustments to the offense like we talked about like not not being so hell-bent on throwing the football no matter what you know and being willing to run the football uh consistently i think that we might still lose the game but I think it'll be a much more competitive game, maybe more like a uh, 17-14 kind of score if our defense helps us out a bit. That's what I'll say. Okay. I would say that we are either going to win. Uh, for us to have a positive thing on it, I'm going to say if we if the scenario is going to work out the way I would want it to, uh, we're going to get some turnovers. We're going to win the turnover battle. Uh, we're going to establish the line of scrimmage and, and show a reasonable ability to run the football and get first downs and, and possess the ball so they can. It ends up being a very short game, and we win the game like um, 17-14 or something along that those lines. Uh, what I am more likely to expect, based on the data that I have in front of me and the data set that I have and what I saw last week at Illinois, regretfully, the, the more more likely scenario, in my opinion, is probably something along the lines of uh, 42-14 Wisconsin, uh, where Wisconsin and, and us, sh- we, we show some fight early, and maybe it's only, you know, 14 to 7 at halftime, but then they blow the doors off of us in the second half, and it ends up being uh, 42-14 with us scoring a late field goal to not make it a complete whitewashing embarrassment, and uh, it's 42-14. Uh, until until these guys show me that they can can demonstrate patience in the running game, I think we will continue to have bad performances as a team. We have to run the football, and until I see that coaching staff commit to doing that, I'm 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 not convinced we can win football games. Yeah, and just the final message I guess to Husker Nation out there is that you know. We knew this was going to be a, like a transitional year going into it, obviously, first-year head right. coach, you know, and 
you know, I mean, this is when you get these sorts of times and programs that kind of uh, test the Fairweather fan versus the true fan kind of thing. Like, right. you know, kind of see um, the pl- the fans who stick with Nebraska no matter what because, you know, they're the Cornhuskers and they're your team sort of thing. You know, right. uh, we got to we got to. We want fans to be those kinds of fans, the fans that are there for us even when things aren't going well because we believe in the – we love the program and we want to believe that there is improvement coming, you know, even if the times are tough now. I, I would agree 100%. And that thing is I can, I can be a little pessimistic about what I think the outcome is, of a game is but that doesn't mean I scream any less loudly. For example, last weekend, my throat still sore <laughs> from, <laughs> from that game because uh, we were certainly doing our best to make our presence felt. And typical Nebraska, uh, we had a good presence in that stadium. They, they didn't come close to filling it themselves. I think I saw the, the posted uh, attendance was just over 40,000 people, and I, and I suspect uh, you know probably 12 Oh, a thousand or so were Nebraska fans, maybe even more. So we were a very obvious presence in that stadium. And certainly in the fourth quarter, when, when uh, before their comeback or just at the beginning of their comeback, Alex, I would say it was 50-50, you know, because so many Illinois fans had already left because the weather was miserable and they were convinced they were going to lose. So they left. Um, and um, um, But uh, bottom line is, is yeah, I, I – I, I'm not at all ready to give up on my Huskers other than the fact that I'm a realist and I'm going to look at what I'm seeing and say, they got it. it's show me time now, baby, until they prove to me that they can uh, uh, win a football game in a tough environment where they got to make third downs and, and they've got to be able to convert and control the clock and stuff like that in the fourth quarter so they can hold on to a lead. I'm not believing what I see. You know, it's just they got to prove it. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that obviously, as we've said, the talent is there. We've seen it in spurts, you know, and we've seen individual players and plays that are, you know, great. So we just kind of got to make it all gel together somehow. That's yep. the goal. All yep. right. So if you all out there enjoyed this podcast, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can find us online at uh, footballthrowdown.potomatic.com or on the Potomatic app. We're also on iTunes as College Football Throwdown. You can leave us comments on Podomatic. Give us ratings and reviews on iTunes. We like hearing feedback from the fans. Uh, so thank you all out there for listening. Uh, we know that it's tough times in Husker Nation right now, but that's why that's why we're here to be the voices of reason and hope at the same time. That's what we're trying to do. Hopefully, I'd like to think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is good. I'm glad. You know, I, I like your perspective, Alex, of of having. Uh, that that you know hopefulness and I always try to say you know what the, the you know perfect future scenario kind of thought process but it, but as a fan when you're evaluating what's taken place you know and you look forward to that next game and you say how does that matchup look you know you got to call and be honest when you when you see it as otherwise I think you're you're just kind of being blind to your homerism mm-hmm All right. Well, as always, go Big Red. Go Big Red, buddy.